So those of you who are a part of Church of the Beloved in Wicker Park, uh, who are involved in a small group here, you will have or have already had the opportunity to dive deeper into this particular chapter, Mark chapter 8. Today we're just going to focus on verses 14 to 21. Again, if you are a part of a small group, one of the things that we provide the small group leaders is a resource that gives them each more context, more content, and more insight around the entire book of Mark. So, and and we, we want you guys to be able to access that as well to serve as an aid to help deeper discussions, deeper dives into the book of Mark in your small groups. If you're not a part of those opportunities already and would like to be a part of it, we encourage you, talk to me, uh, talk to Pastor Otua, or as some, especially me, like to call him, Patois. Uh, talk to us, and we would love to get you connected into a small group that fits within your schedule so that you can be a part of this opportunity to dive deeper. But before we get into the passage that Carolyn, and thank you very much, Carolyn, for reading today, Uh, reading, uh, and I know it was hard with the page flip, uh, but thank you very much for that. And I want to get into a short summary of the the passages right before, or the mosaic pieces right before today's passage. And I'm going to start by reading to you verses 1 to 10. Uh, I think it'll be on the screen here. In verse 1, he starts off by saying, in those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, He called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples and set before the people. Set, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. And so this particular story is very similar. It is not the same story, but very similar to another story in Mark chapter 6, verse 30 to 44, where Jesus is feeding over 5,000 Jews. There are a number of differences, but I only want to point out one main thing. And you guys can dive deeper in this on your own time and your own study. But the main difference I want to point out is who Jesus had compassion over in this particular incident. Because the people that Jesus had compassion for here, it's not just Jews. The 5,000 for those are Jews. This is for everyone who desires to follow him. Jesus has compassion on Jew and Gentile. No difference. The second mosaic piece comes up in Mark chapter 11 to 13, and I'm just trying to lay down a little bit of background and context for you. In Mark chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 11, he writes, The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven and to test him. 
And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. I, I really enjoyed Patois' message last week. You know, and if you didn't get a chance to, to hear it, you know, he spoke of how, how the Pharisees were so focused on the traditions of men that they didn't realize they've lost sight of God's heart, God's will, God's word, that they were ignoring it. It's worth mentioning, though, the Pharisees didn't start bad. Um, they actually had good intentions. And I think it might be worth taking a moment before we dive deeper into verses 11 to 13 to understand a little bit of the history here. Because you see, last week uh, in the message, there, the, the issue that the Pharisees had wasn't with Jesus per se, it was with his disciples, and specifically the fact that they were not following the traditions of men. I want you to note that the issue with, that, that Jesus never stood against the law, the law passed down from God. Rather, Jesus would push back, not on the law, he would push back on the traditions of men, something that was known as the Mishnah. Okay? So the Mishnah uh, was, and it still is in practice today, was an oral tradition brought together by the rabbis intended to make the law that was passed down by God to the Jews more practical. He was, they were doing application, something we do when it comes to scripture reading ourselves. They were applying, what does it mean to keep the Sabbath? What does it mean to not covet your neighbor's wife? They were trying to make it really practical. So, so the Pharisees created over 400 rules to make the living out of the covenant created by God between the Jews and God more practical. Unfortunately, as time passed on, those traditions became the priority over the law of God. Legalism became more important than love for God. So over time, the original intent of the Mishnah unfortunately changed. No longer was the Mishnah being provided to draw people closer to God. It was being used to make people more compliant with the Pharisees, with those in power, the traditions of man over the law of God. So if you look at verses 11 to 13 now, when Mark writes that the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, that word argue in the original Greek, there's something missing because if you consider the original context and look at our context, I don't think that word argue is actually strong enough. For the original Greek, if you, I think a more accurate translation in today's context would be the Pharisees came and began to harass him. Or the Pharisees came and began to intentionally harangue him. See, the Pharisees, they didn't want to debate with God. There was no desire for discussion. The Pharisees were, request, were not requesting a sign, honestly, to prove that Jesus was divine. They were asking and pointing and bugging him because they thought they could prove that Jesus was not divine. Because ultimately, they didn't want to lose their authority. They didn't want to lose 
the power that they had because of the traditions of men. So, as a result, he sighed. Jesus reached the point of total human exasperation. He couldn't, his deep sigh was because the ones that he loves, the ones that should know better, didn't. And so God's patience, it met God's justness, and he said, enough. And he walked away. So the mosaic pieces leading up to the passage I really want to focus on today first start off with Jesus showing compassion to everyone who wants to be with him, in a relationship with him, to the Gentiles. It also includes an ins- a situation, a mosaic piece, where he walks away from the chosen ones, from Jews who are more interested in following tradition over God's law. And with those two pieces in mind, I want to unpack today's passage a little bit. Uh, back in the day, I used to work for an Irish software company. So when I first started, I spent my first month with the company living in Ireland. And then I, I used to go back on an extremely regular basis. Um, got a lot of miles as a result. And I, I remember while I was there, I spent, I spent so much time in Irish culture that I learned a few local uh, sayings and mannerisms and such, and one that stuck with me still today uh, is, uh, is a phrase called, so that goes, every day is a school day. I love it. I think it's brilliant. Because in other words, every day needs to be an opportunity for us to continue to learn and to continue to grow, to continue to take every advantage of every opportunity to become better. And if you look at verses 14 and 15, you can see that's exactly what Jesus is doing. Reading verse 14 and 15, he says, Now, they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautions them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And just a minute ago, the disciples had seven baskets full of leftovers which they left behind. And now they're on their boat and realizing that as they're getting a little bit hangry, they only got one loaf of bread, and it was one they found on the boat, so it was probably old and crusty and probably a little nasty. And they're looking at this thing, and I think that ultimately Jesus was probably a bit amused because he knows he can take care of that. He's... they're like, and they're getting all flustered and stuff, and he started thinking, oh, it's fine. And he decided not to, not to pick on them for this, not to chastise them for being absent-minded, but instead he used this as an excellent opportunity to teach something, a life lesson, because every day is a school day. Unfortunately, the disciples didn't get it. Because in verse 16, his reads, And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. I'm sure you've had situations where you've got this this point uh, that you're trying to share and you find this awesome metaphor or this story that is extremely relevant and relatable and it's going to be a perfect way to explain the content of your point. 
But what you end up having is that the audience focus wholly on the metaphor versus the message. We had it happen actually in our small group this past Wednesday when we were discussing last week's message and suddenly uh, Patois' hatred for all things LaCroix uh, started bubbling up and then it just devolved into a conversation about what LaCroix is and is it better or worse than Propel and all these other kinds of things. And we realized very quickly that we had lost the plot, we lost the point of the actual metaphor. If you want to know what the point of the metaphor was, I'm not going to tell you. You can go online on our website. We also have a podcast. You can uh, hear the message from last week that way if you want to. But ultimately, this is the point. Jesus is using a metaphor here, using the uh, idea of leaven or yeast in bread to speak to an important spiritual truth, but the disciples are totally missing that point and focusing more on the metaphor or the bread versus the me message, the lesson that he's trying to get. But here's the reason why I wanted to start off with those mosaic pieces, a short summary of the preceding passages. Because remember, Jesus walked away out of total exasperation from the Pharisees. Because he could see in their heart, they had no desire to draw closer to the king of kings. They only had a desire to break down the kingdom of God. At the same time, he could see the heart of his disciples. And he knew that they really wanted to understand. So he took the time to say, here, let me explain. And in verses in 17 through 21, we see a little bit of that. It says, and Jesus aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And, and they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Jesus uses this combination of, of rhetorical questions. Why are you still talking about bread? Don't you get it? Can't you see? Can't you hear? Is this combination of rhetorical questions and direct questions, you know, when he said, when I broke the five loaves for 5,000 Jews, how much was left over? When I, when I broke the seven loaves for over 4,000 people, how much was left over? He's asking them these questions because ultimately Jesus is trying to help them fully understand first and to remind them and second, to provide them sense of hope. See, he, he didn't walk away from his disciples as he did with the Pharisees because he knew where their heart was. And he wanted them to understand that the Holy Spirit is at work in their lives. And he wants us to understand that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives right now. Because when Jesus says 
do you not yet perceive or understand he is making a promise. He is intentionally pointing out an impending reality that one day, yes, you will understand. Just not there yet. So I want to spend the last 10 minutes or so focusing on the message, the metaphor itself of the leaven and understanding what the message is behind it, the lesson the message that he was trying to get to the disciples and ultimately to us as well as followers of Jesus Christ, what we need to understand. Now, here's the, th- here's the thing. I-, I, am, I am not a-, a baker. I am actually pretty crap in, sorry if that's, if that's uh, offensive to you. I'm pretty bad uh, at, in the kitchen. I'm really good if there's fire involved, outdoors, and meat that's been recently killed. I'm good with that kind of stuff. I can do that. But when it comes to actually like cooking and baking, really, really poor. Um, and so I thought about it, and I know that baking is a beloved uh, activity. Get it? Beloved. It's a beloved activity for many at Beloved. And I thought maybe I'll do some binge watching, look at the, the great something, bake, uh, great uh, bake-off Yes, thank you. <laughs> or Cake Boss, or one of those TV shows, you know, go on Netflix, uh, to get a better appreciation of all the hype around baking. And then I thought, eh, just read about it, and which I did. And I, I, and I looked at, you know, trying to get a better understanding of what it is that leaven is, because I'm not very familiar with it. And I looked it up. And what I learned, and for those of you who know this, you can correct me later, but leaven is basically used to make dough rise, like yeast. Yeast is a form of leaven that makes dough rise. And you only need a little bit of leaven for it to permeate throughout the dough so that it can rise. So the use of the term by Jesus, the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, is intended to point out that allowing just a little bit of their influence, it could fully and totally impact the entirety and totality of a disciple's life. In the same way, allowing a little bit to impact and infiltrate us can impact us totally. And so he is saying, be careful, watch out, so that we can guard ourselves. So I want us to consider what the leaven of these two groups are to better understand what we need to be careful of, to watch out for, as Christians who want to grow in our faith and spiritual maturity. Now, the leaven of the Pharisees or the teaching of the Pharisees refer to what was being preached last week as well as what we read in verses 11 to 13. Ultimately, it is this emphasis on the traditions of men, this emphasis on the Mishnah. It took the Pharisees away from the heart of God and help them focus on themselves, on on these laws instead. So remember, they did start with good intent. But over time, the Pharisees started to overemphasize tradition over theology and forgetting that that the Mishnah, these these rules were established in the first place to draw us closer to God. The leaven of the Pharisees created a focus on legalism over love. As I was uh, preparing today's message uh, in my own private devotion, I'm continuing through the book of Mark, and I'm reading further on in Mark. 
uh, a, a scribe asks Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And I, I just love reading Jesus' response. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your mind. It's just love God. And then he says, he follows it up. And the second is that you shall love your neighbor. He summarizes the totality of Scripture, the entire gospel, with two things. Love God with everything you've got and love God's creations in the same way. There is, the Mishnah is well-intentioned. It's a well-intentioned codification of the law that has forgotten for them what the law is. Love. I know that for me personally, this is also often a struggle. Now, I wake up every morning now at 4.30 in the morning. It used to be 5 a.m., but now it's 4.30 a.m. because I have for whatever reason. Anyway, um, I started this many, many years ago. And I did this mainly because I wanted to spend time on my own to study the Bible, uh, spend time in prayer, start my day with God, get a good workout in, stuff like that. Just, just alone time. Um, so it, it started off well. But at some point, this is all before I moved to Chicago with my wife, Suzette, I started adhering to the schedule more out of legalism then out of love. My, my intent crossed the line from being more focused on the discipline than on God, on devotion. It was more about me being able to pridefully say, yes, I wake up every morning at 5 a.m. because I want to spend time with God rather than spending time with God. That's what legalism is. See, it, it turns those habits and those rituals that, that we had set up for ourselves to draw closer to God, to the Messiah, from an act to support that to an act that replaces that. See, our, our, it becomes the, the means of our salvation. When our mindset begins to change from, I am redeemed by faith alone in Christ alone, to I am redeemed because I do these things, these things that probably started off for good reasons, that's the leaven of the Pharisees. The leaven of Herod, a little different. This one requires a little bit of a history. And some of you may know this, but the Herods, and I use the plural, the Herods were Jews. I don't know if you all knew this. I, I just learned this recently. I, I don't know why it didn't sink in for a long time, but the, the Herods were Jews who were given authority by the Romans over other Jews. The Bible mentions uh, Herod the Great, the first Herod, in uh, Matthew and Luke. This is the Herod who killed all the babies when Jesus was born. Mark mentions the, one of the other uh, descendant Herods, Herod Antipas. He's the one who kills or murders John the Baptist and ultimately leads to Christ's crucifixion. And so these Herods were these Jews who were being supported by a political group called the Herodians. And the Herodians' primary aim was to maintain and continue to grow the strength of the Herods in Israel. And this is exactly the opposite of what the Pharisees were trying to do, who were trying to bring back the Davidic line, 
the line of David back into authority over the Jews in Israel. You see, they were polar opposites. The Herod, the Herods and the Herodians were people who believed in themselves over the promised Savior. They wanted to be masters, not serve a Messiah. Whereas the Pharisees, they wanted the Davidic line back because they were looking for that promised Savior. The leaven of the Herods emphasized self, self-gratification over humble submission to God. Now, I was thinking of a, a, a metaphor around this, and I think, I think we can all agree in this room that sleep is pretty important for the majority of us here. Uh, and I know for many, the ability to hit that snooze bar uh, is an important aspect of our morning ritual. You know, just nine more minutes. You just be able to do that. Um, I know for many, when faced with a decision whether or not to wake up early, to make enough room for God, or just a few more minutes of sleep, unfortunately, sometimes God will lose. But there's a group here at Wicker Park, two of them, who wanted to uh, embolden their desire for humble submission over self-gratification. And I'm a part of these two groups. It's a simple thing. Uh, We encourage each other in our simple commitment by texting each other in the morning to wake up. Uh, So one of these groups, I text them at 6.15 in the morning. Uh, and usually we don't actually use words. It's typically bitmojis or emojis or some other moji uh, to help get them out of bed or at least looking at their phone. And the other, we text each other at 6.30 in the morning. And it's a small thing. I, I realize it, but it's a thing that allows the leaven of Herod to not impact, to not infiltrate our lives. It's something we do so that we can focus on humility, humility humble submission to God over self-gratification. So, what does this mean for us as a church? You know, Church of the Beloved in Wicker Park, how does that impact us? Because we have these two agents of transformation. We have one, the leaven of the Pharisees that emphasizes legalism over love. We have the leaven of Herod that emphasizes self-gratification over humble submission. Both, Both of these things ultimately lead to destruction. So what does it mean for us? The call for us, for me, as a follower of Christ, is to examine myself, is for us to examine ourselves in the light of the gospel, in the light of truth, in the truth of God's word. See, Jesus gives us these words of warning for a purpose. These cautionary metaphors have a reason. Ultimately, we don't want to become blind and deaf to the truth that God the Father is providing us, and we understand that there are things that we must guard against regularly, and we cannot take our spiritual walk for granted. Here's the thing. It doesn't take a lot for yeast to worm its way through our lives. You know, Simply coming to church or giving tithe or even saying, I'm a Christian, unfortunately, is not enough to continue to grow and protect ourselves. 
to guard ourselves. Consider this. Being in the presence of the Almighty Savior with Jesus and seeing him with their own eyes did not give the disciples full understanding of their situation, of what Jesus was actually trying to tell them. So a true grasp of what it looks like to have the leaven of God infiltrate our lives, it needs a little bit more. You, the, knowledge is important. A knowledge of who Jesus is and what his work is on the cross, that's essential, but ultimately, it's not enough. Here's the thing. James chapter 2, verse 19, it says this. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Do you shudder at the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done? To realize the full impact of the leaven of God, to allow grace the grace given to us by Christ alone to touch every aspect of our lives and to allow us to grow in our spiritual maturity, to experience the full force of the Spirit of God in our day-to-day, in our minute-to-minute. We need the Savior. We need Christ through the Holy Spirit to give us eyes that can see and ears that can hear. And I mentioned this earlier, and I want to kind of conclude with this now. I want to repeat it because... It's so important. Jesus is looking and has compassion on you right now because he can see your heart. He knows you want to understand. Jew, Gentile, male, female, black, white, Asian, he wants to be there for you. (coughs) And when he's saying to his disciples and when he's saying to you, Do you not yet perceive? Do you not yet understand? He is intentionally pointing out that it will happen, that there is an impending reality, that one day, maybe right now, today, you will get it. You will perceive. You will understand. See, I know that I cannot fully comprehend the enormity of God on my own. I know that we cannot fully grasp the gift of the Son. We are fallen. We are distant from God, but He provides the means through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, through the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. He provides the ability to help us understand. See, ultimately, the Holy Spirit allows us to fulfill the yet to understand now. So simply being in the presence of Christ, simply being in the presence of a congregation of believers is wonderful and it's awesome, but it's not enough to guarantee faith. Coming to church every Sunday, singing worship songs, does not guarantee salvation. But we are called to work on our relationship to God through the reading of Scripture, gathering together in corporate worship so that we can encourage and grow together, growing in our knowledge of who God is, humbly praying for the Spirit to come within us to open our eyes, to open our ears, that we might become a people transformed by the gospel, transformed into Spirit-filled disciples, realizing that we are the beloved of God because of Christ alone. That's who we are. Let's pray together.